Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have begged and they have walked when our calamity came. We beg no longer, we defy them. You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. Hey everybody, it's me, Cyrus, here again, and my brother Chase, producers in the studio, and today we are here to talk to you about a topic that has given us a fair bit more trouble than we expected at first. It took about uh, three or four meetings that were less than productive and one botched recording attempt, but today we are finally ready quote unquote, to talk to you about masculinity. Boy, what a topic you need, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I've been waiting for uh, for your masculine lessons for the last 25 years. Where, where have they been? <laughs> and yet to still be delivered, but uh, we'll give it a shot. Yeah. Speaking of masculine lessons, the very last time we were together, uh, yeah. you, you had a little display of masculinity for me that I was gracious enough to share with my uh, social media uh, followers. And that was you wrestling around in the snow in short shorts with your friend Tyler. And folks, this was a blizzard. And when I say in the short, in short shorts, there was there was nothing else involved. And uh, this was conveyed to me as supposed to be a, an expression of of masculinity. Well, we invited I, you as well, but so don't don't cut that out of it. You did invite me. I I didn't it's a round take robin it. wrestling deal. I didn't take it that way as as the most masculine of exercises, but. I, I, what was the, what was the thinking behind that? What was the, well, uh, Tyler was definitely feeling uh, froggy and you know, he's in uh, a special forces guy. So I think there's a consistent or constant challenges to manliness in that line of work and that that's its own topic. But yeah, I, I got called out a few times to the point where it was past the point of joking. And if I didn't say, yes, let's go, it would have been a clear sign of backing down. So I've been reflecting on it. Since that meeting, especially since I've... It's good you have that sort of relationship with your friends. Yeah, but yeah. Sounds the ribbing that you've given me since then. And I think it's... Uh, there was two essential elements there of like, to quote Christmas Story for the second time in our past conversations. If it's not immoral, and there's a double dog dare, essentially, to just say no thanks, just because I don't want to, might not be not manly, but you're getting pretty darn close to it. And I also think that there's this this element of a central core masculinity, like a conquering nature. And it's not too cold for me. I can go out and barefoot in a blizzard and deal with this guy who's challenging me. Does that make sense? It makes some sense from, from certain perspectives, but it's, it's sort of the same, isn't it the same conceit as like, would you, would you jump off a bridge if all your friends did? Well, right. Uh, that would be immoral. I but... know that's typically told to us from our mothers. So maybe, maybe you take issue with that, but I, I, there's yeah, a there's... fine line. There's something to be said for yeah, ethical adjudication of value. Long story short, my feet were numb for a good eight hours, so I felt it afterwards. Well, there you go. I hope hope you feel better about yourself, too. The (laughs) the story you bring up, though, it does sort of begin to drive a wedge into maybe like what was classical masculinity and what is maybe masculinity today. And there's this confusion that we've been just going back and forth on. There's certainly a confusion on what is – masculinity. I just, I think masculinity is sort of the virtue of being a man in, 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 in goodness and in perfectness. 
And so, but what is it to be a man? And that's what we're here to, to discuss. In fact, sorry, it's just to lay out a goal for us here in this episode and maybe the ones to follow. I know we're having this conversation because you and I want to be better men and we want to help each other to be better men. So I think some of the questions we have to answer, what is a man? How do we become one? And is that what we see around us? And where do we see it? And how can we emulate it? So I think what we really want to focus on today is what is a man? And I've been enthralled with this question and really interested in it for the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and these, these, like we've said, are pretty thorny questions. So we're not going to really, I don't think, get into too much of manhood, maybe definitionally or biologically or anything like that. But we're going to be talking more about, at least from my perspective, you know, what makes a man and what is the difference between what that is and what we get in our actual day-to-day life, you know, and the sort of obstacles to that. So, so where do you want to start? And this is, I think, you know, what were we raised with and what do we think now maybe is, is the two ways in which we can slice this up. So you were raised differently than I was. One, you had to deal with me and you also, you know, mom and dad were a little bit different too. So just maybe you start. Yeah. It's from my perspective, it certainly seemed like the house was a little bit more martial uh, when you were Oh, what do you Marshall? What do you mean by that? Just like um, more highly disciplined. Uh, I more mean, our parents were always, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. My, our parents were always strict, but it definitely they were more like, even keel. Well, I mean, I think they were older and more mature. And yeah, probably that's what I would like to say, you know, by the time I was around. So maybe that's just how it seemed. But, it, you know, I was five years younger than you. So I got away with a lot of stuff you didn't also. Yeah, I think that in, said, that, in that way, I sometimes I felt like half older brother, half like stepdad. And I, I regret the stepdad stuff because I think I came down on you pretty hard for some of the stuff that maybe I wouldn't have gotten away with. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's what I mean. I feel like you you made up the gap that whatever, however much my parents chilled out yeah, that's over the, the time between you and me, you made up that gap and probably maybe even a little bit extra. Yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. Uh, that's... <laughs> it's hard to say for sure. But that said, those ideas that that was more about just being like a productive member of society and you know that's the sort of stuff that our dad would always hammer hammer down but in terms of being raised to be a man you know that was very much i feel like colored by the fact that our father didn't grow up with a father or rather a rotating cast of strange men you know from various different walks of life so it was always highly impressed upon us that like, I would say a key tenet of masculinity and manhood is responsibility, being able to make stand on your own two feet and then support the people who depend on you. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. I'd certainly, that was a large reason of, Hey, when you move out and you're able to support yourself, you can make your own decisions. And so I think that is in the vein of manliness. And I also think there's also the other side of the coin of responsibility we don't have to have a lot, but whatever we do have, we're going to take care of and be proud of, and it's going to be clean or organized or whatever. So there's that sense of pride that's not boastful, but it's proud. Yeah, yeah, that you should be proud of, of yourself and, and especially the work that you do. I think that was another. Yes. I mean, good, both of our good. parents worked. It definitely wasn't a male dominated thing because both of our, our parents. Oh, yeah. Mom's type A. Like, yeah, exactly. Again, selfless mom, plug mom. jam sessions, Idaho. If you, uh, <laughs> it's sessions on.com mom gets her free plug every episode or soon to be, but yeah, she was a waitress studied, became a real estate appraiser, no college. And now she's an entrepreneur, like in her fifties. 
Yeah, she. I remember for a couple of years she taught as a computer teacher. You know, she was just oh, yeah, always kind of doing whatever she could, whatever she felt like she could. Yeah, mom's a hustler. But but definitely, you know, given that we were just two brothers and there we didn't have any sisters, that was always impressed upon us as a key part of adulthood for sure, if not necessarily manhood. Of like, you work, you do like that, and you and you do it gracefully and without too much complaint. Yeah, which you know is is definitely. I feel like confusing to people like that to hear about people saying, you know, that work is unfair now or things are more unfair. The system is more unfair now because they didn't they didn't see it that way. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting I don't want to take us off manliness, but I think for socialism to be more widestream accepted, it, it's got to be sold with, hey, we're all here to work. Because at least what I hear most commonly again, socialism is, oh, we're going to enable people who don't want to work. And so if there if those two were more tightly linked, I'd maybe be a little bit closer to say, yeah, we could all pitch in. Right. Well, that's, you know, that's kind of one of the interesting misconceptions about socialism in general. And like I, like you said, we don't want to get too far off track here. Although I think this is, you know, pretty, pretty apparent for the conversation we're having, which is that Marx himself, and it's pretty fundamental to Marx's theory that, that man is defined and, and man as a species, humanity as a species comes into being through work and through labor. And that that is that, you know, Marx would say that labor is fundamental to man's existence and their species character. Theodore Roosevelt uh, would agree with him. Uh, there's especially an American man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, in America that that's tied up with all its own interesting baggage, especially I feel like re- morally related to the frontier and especially with TR. But yeah, yeah no, I, I just would a say quick that... quote from TR is because I, I pulled it up here. If sure. he paraphrasing, if he fails to work, he fails to justify his existence. And that's Teddy. Yeah, and worth remembering that TR was a bit of a psycho. I mean, I, I Whoa, have. let's not. Have make, a, he has a lot of admirable shades on historical figures. Wanna, You're going to make enemies you I, don't want to make. Let's I, get back to the manliness. March I, forward. I won't totally bash on him. I, I do like the guy, but I mean, anybody who knows anything about him, he's, he's, he's a rough a writer. Crazy. So you got to be a little, yeah. little, little psycho to be a rough writer. But all that to say that our conception of manhood was complicated, but also, or it was complicated by, you know, our, our, I would say our parents' very simple understanding of what it means to be an adult and how that doesn't really answer all the questions about what it means to be a man today. Well, know, let me, let me cut in because I, I don't want to sell dad short sure. and I'm not necessarily defending him as much as I am. This was always really instilled to me for anyone that listened to the first or the third episode, which was episode zero or two. Uh, that a boy will make a boy's decision and a man will make a man's decision. And I actually think that's very biblical too, in the sense of like Paul says, Hey, when I was a child, I spoke thought and made decisions like a child. When I was a man, I put aside childish things. So I think it's the most core biblical definition. And one that I, I, at least I got a lot was, well, a boy will make a boy's decision and a man will make a man's decision. And so I think that that too, even by definition, like a, a man is not a boy, uh, a male can be a boy. And I think that's one thing I don't want to throw into too many problems we see in society, but one of the consequences of not having this good definition of what is a man is boys trying to become men. And we're copying the vices and not the virtues of men because we don't know what a real man is or those virtues. So, yeah, I think that's. Topic. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a very in-depth topic, which I, I think is probably what we'll be getting into today. But what would you say then, because like you said, 
we don't have those definitions. We don't really have, at least not on a widespread level, some sort of ritualism or tradition that, you know, is a traditional passing of the mantle of manhood onto a boy. So those things aren't really like they're, everyone has their own working definition of it, I guess. Well, so it, go ahead. Sorry. No, no. I was just going to say, so what would you say is the, the main difference Essence? between, yeah. Between or the difference what, between boy and man then? Yeah. The difference between boy and yeah. man. What makes a man a man and makes him different from a boy? Yeah. Praise God. Give us a good answer here, Lord. So the first thing I'll answer is your, we don't have this ritualistic experience. I think what I'm about to say happens in the vacuum of our culture, not having a process of manliness or to create manliness. And I think postmodern Western culture, what we find ourselves in is one of the only in world history that doesn't have a process of taking boys to men. And I think that we see that a lot through society. You agree? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I I can't speak to any larger trends, but certainly seems that Western society is lacking in that way Okay, or definitely different in that way from other societies. And in in that essence, like, and I'm I'm sort of using a humanist perspective as much as I am using a biblical one in this vein. And that is, I have an assumption we can be challenged in the series that I think a man must be made. I don't think we're born men. I think we're born males in a sense, right? And we can grow up, but we can certainly be an older male and not embody the actions or the virtues of a man. So, that's a big problem we've got. So I'm, what I'm saying is, is happening in that context. Fair? Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. I, I, we'll, we'll, we can, I'll sure. let you keep going. Yeah. Okay. So I think what Jesus said, let me start there. He says, basically, uh, the, one, it's his new command. Love others as I have loved you. And if you want to talk about the fulfillment of the law, that's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? I think that can't like a boys can't do that i don't think any and i'm not and i'm not really even making any claims of girl woman i'm strictly talking boy man here we're not born there so i'm going to try to break down what i think it takes to to do what jesus said or to do what our dad told us to do or told me to do which was make man decisions i think man for me the first thing i've got to do is reject a natural state of passivity i observe within myself almost everything from the moment i wake up to me seeing somebody potentially get bullied at work or in the grocery store. I want to be passive. I want to be. And that goes back to Genesis where Adam, who was next to Eve, let her eat the fruit, right? That's totally passed over in a lot of historical accounts of the Garden of Eden. But Adam, who got the command from God because Eve wasn't there, so we know, let her sin. He was being passive. So I think my natural state is passivity. And I need to reject that as the first step to being a man. So when you say, and maybe maybe you're going to tie all this in later, but just as you say, reject passivity, I mean, that's a pretty, those are in pretty uh, strong terms. Do you mean that passivity is like an evil or is it that it is just like, are there any circumstances in which I feel like I could, we could come up with some. I don't know. I know. So I think, and I'm going to make a claim which I reserve to recant later. Yeah, I think yeah. passivity is almost always bad now because being passive is not just not doing something because I can intentionally decide not to do something because that's for the greater good. But being passive is basically not taking a state in the ground and just floating along the current of what whatever's happening. And I think the passivity point leads to the second point. And maybe this answers your question. I think the second thing I must do as a man is accept responsibility for the situation I'm, I'm in. Okay. So that's interesting because I feel like this is, 
This is definitely clashing with my worldview in a general Ooh, sense. Great. How? Because I believe that that is generally what, you know, kind of what you just said is, is, is more of an illusion than a reality. Yes, you, you do. Like, I mean, it, it, it's not clashing fully with my worldview because there is a sort of existential center to me, which says that to have freedom, to have real freedom, you have to also have responsibility of your life. But as the, the sort of historical materialist in me says that our lives are, are much more dictated by the forces around us than by our own individual actions. And well, that even our own individual actions are oftentimes not ours. And that really to enter into that sort of transcend, transcendent level of, of manhood or you know the fullest yeah, I, version I of yourself, is- you have to be able to actually understand that and understand the ways in which your actions are guided by others. Great. I, this might be a point of genuine disagreement in which I'd love to get some other socialists to, to see if that's the case. I, I do think we have to take responsibility for our own actions. And I do think the origin of our problem as men and in society is sin. And it's, it's, it's from within, right? And, and as a historical materialist, as I under, have understood you, the origin of most of our problems is the misappropriation or the unevenness of material wealth and conditions. And I think even if we solved for inequality, we would still be sinners, right? And that's how I think the real problem is, Jesus said in Mark, the problem comes from with the heart and it's, and then from, from the man's heart come all these things. Well, yeah, I don't want to mischaracterize my own beliefs. What I would say is that, yes, of course, everyone is held to account for their own actions and there's responsibility and agency in any given situation, but there's also an understanding that that responsibility for somebody's situation is actually held by all of us that you know the sure. homeless I, homeless person on the street the person in you know single mother whoever that is i in so far as it is a failure of that person it is a failure of the society i like that and there's a pretty plenty of biblical precedent to set that up one like god you know puts a lot of responsibility on prophets to say like hey if you don't warn people their blood's on your hands it, or if right. they if you don't warn if you don't warn them properly. Right. And he also, I mean, even God, I sent you this message. I think it was today. I was in Isaiah and God was saying, Hey, I want a fast that loosens the bonds of the oppressed and that sets the captives free. That's the kind of fast God requires. So I I think that there is this collective responsibility out there, but I, I don't think that's necessarily exclusive to historical materialism or Marx. I, you know, Jesus or God had a corner on that a while too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I think it's been pretty foundational to a lot of, religious beliefs as well. Cyrus, on this point, and man, I have like really hated myself over this because at the time I think I was trying to do right, but I hate how I I remember this. Do you remember where this is going? Yeah, (laughs) uh, it's, it's a deeper regret. And in this vein of accept responsibility, I came home one day in high school. You do, you must've been maybe seventh or eighth grade. And you were, it was, you know, computer right by the front door. I, ca- I came home, opened the door and you were looking at pornography. Do you remember that, that deal? Do I remember looking at pornography? Well, when I came yeah. in and we had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I actually, I, I remember this in, in, uh, do you remember the story in, or like in what, exacting the, detail? Yeah. Oh God. Okay. So how do you remember it? And I'll cut in when I want to cut in. I remember Maybe I blocked out whether my pants were around my ankles or not. No, dude, but, you weren't masturbating or anything. Like, you, uh, <laughs> you, you're looking at the computer. But I, yeah, I just remember the office was 
right, right by the door, the yeah. front door. And I feel like I always made sure to lock it, but that day, I guess I didn't. And, uh, you, you barged right in there. And I remember looking at you and you looked at me and then looked at the computer and then I looked at the computer and then back at you. And, uh, yeah, that was that was a bit of a shock, uh, dude. Right. And so I didn't know these steps back then, but I thought like the most right thing to do was to give you the option of like what to do. And I, I think I did it like hard and, and unloving. Do you remember like what I did or, or the, uh, the decision I gave you? Yeah, you made me uh, smoke the whole pack, quote unquote. <laughs> you mean you <know? laughs> like when someone has to smoke a cigarette? Oh and yeah, right. Well, I didn't tell you to like. All right, pack. get a subscription to this website. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see you in here five times a day. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna make your eyes bleed. No, dude. Like, what happened? <laughs> no, no. You, you, you made me. Well, first, I'm pretty sure you can confirm whether or not you lied to me in this instance. But you told me that you were aware I'd been doing it for a while. Which, if so, weird thing, but. Anyways. I was probably a creative liar. I might have had an intuition because that's probably the time I had, you know, first started looking at pornography. Yeah, yeah. whatever. And yeah. then you told me that I was going to have to tell dad that I had been doing it. Otherwise, you were going to tell him. Yeah. And, and to other uh, like people out there, that might seem like, you know, stone cold brutal. But I think I think at this time, I, yeah, if I was in high school, like I was not looking at pornography. I was even like trying to go chase, not even masturbate. So like I was straight edge you could say and i didn't want to be the one to tell him but man i i just remember the you did not like that and and i think i can't remember how dad reacted but man i just know that my reaction towards you and and i think what his was wasn't loving but was more like judgmental and <laughs> you could say that Oh <laughs> uh, God. So, I mean, so, you know, like, so here's the, the maybe this. they wanted to bring the preacher in to, to have words. <laughs> I don't remember. Thought I was sick. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's not true. <laughs> do you remember how dad reacted? I don't. Um, I do. I do. I remember telling him in, in the car on the way or on the way to the gym, I think it was super early morning. I remember being pretty dark and I, I remember his face and I thought like, oh yeah, well, you know, Chase Chase gave me this great uh, this great opportunity take to responsibility. take responsibility. Like, I bet if I do it in a in a way that make you know I'm really taking responsibility for it, like I won't really get in that much trouble. And, and I could not have been more wrong. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, dude! I was I think I was more punished for that than anything else I did in that youth experience. I don't I, I'm really sure that there was like, I, I vaguely remember some like, you know, rollouts of like, you know, computer software monitoring, blah, 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 blah after yeah. that. I had to find the passwords for that and then <laughs> figure out how to delete the keystrokes. It was, it made my, my uh, young adolescent experience a lot more complicated. That's yeah. Sure. But you know, also um, <laughs> maybe there's a virtue in, you know, learning how to break the rules honorably. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's right. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that's, that was an attempt maybe at accepting or taking responsibility and the truth without love is brutal. And that's more of a message to Christians than anyone else. So, um, that's right. yeah. But anyways, I don't want to get you off track. Sure. Continue so on. two more steps. The third is to lead courageously. And I define courageous by just being strong in a vulnerable situation, right? Mm -hmm. From our military background or just, you know, any kind of training running in front of gunfire is courageous. 
because you're yeah. being strong and vulnerable. Same thing, man. Like, so I think the most elemental aspect of lead courageously is leading by example, doing what you can in a way that everyone else should do. That's how you, it's the first step towards taking responsibility. Is that fair to so yeah, far? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting that just from, and I'll be interested, curious to hear what your fourth point is, but from these first points that you've mentioned, what it really seems like the, the common thread to them to me is that it rejects the centering of the self in favor of using the self as a means of centering the people around you as, as a means of centering the, the, the environment in which you find yourself, you know, when you're rejecting passivity, your initial instinct is to want to do what you want to do or, or mind your own business or whatever it may be in that situation. By taking responsibility, you're also, you know, by for the self, for yourself and the people around you. I mean, that's pretty inherent. And then being courageous is all about understanding that like there might be sacrifice involved for the thing that you have to do, but courage implies danger. Yeah. Um, it, it, it can't. So just on the courage point, it must take place yeah. in danger, but I don't want to full throatedly disagree, but I think I do just because I think Kant was the first one to bring this up and C.S. Lewis and Ayn Rand, the world apart, peg him with this idea of introducing that for a, an action, a motivation to be good. It sort of has to be selfless. I don't think that's Christian. And I think that is permeated the church and most of popular morality. In, in fact, it says of Christ that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Now, he certainly didn't want to go to the cross, but he had such a much, he did what he did for the joy set before him, right? Because he loved us and because there was a reward for the love. So I guess what I want to say is that you've made a key statement that this manliness is a rejection of self. It is, and it is a full pursuit towards, towards a greater joy. But, and but this is my- exactly what I'm talking about. And this is, in my opinion, very foundational to you know my whole per- world ideological perspective, which is that self-interest is found in, the, in service and sacrifice to others. So love that, but you can't really claim that unless you admit to a spiritual reality and to an afterlife, man. Because a lot of times, like you're not going to see it on this side of life. And, and I'm not saying, oh, therefore we could create some fabricated like alternative reality after death. I'm saying we got to embrace that there's life after death and that the spirit lives on. I see. I don't see that. I, I guess I see. Cause even like, let's, you know, assume, let's just take it as an assumption that you're actually wrong, that there isn't a God. I'm just going to playing devil's advocate. Sure. Okay. If that's the case, then your faith has still led you, even though it's not technically real, even if it weren't real, it has still led you to pursue a life in service of others in service to others and sacrifice to others. So as long as you're able to find something worthwhile enough and something you're willing to believe and, and put faith stock into enough, then it doesn't have to be true. It doesn't have, you know, oh, like not great. So great, great, great counter because I've heard like somebody in Bible study within the last month claim the same thing. And I think that's completely wrong. And unfortunately I've believed it for a long time because you can only say, oh, wow, if you've got this faith that this gives you this meaning and this purpose, that's super great for you, even if it's not true. If it works for you, it's, it's good. Paul says in Corinthians, I think it's Corinthians 15, that if Christ was not raised from the dead, then we above all are be, to be the most pitied and despised. Because like in his time, people got lit up like Roman candles for believing what they believed. And sure. if I have an imaginary conversation every morning, I'm truly delusional. Even if I'm doing good acts, pity me because I'm delusional right? I'm not getting a higher bonus. 
or I'm not doing something more pleasurable or self-seeking in this life because of some delusional thing like, man, pity me. Yeah, but I mean, I think you could make the exact same argument for people who devote their lives to the cause of socialism. You know, like Julian Assange right now is rotting in a cell in the UK. I, I can't speak to his socialist beliefs, but because he wanted people to hear the truth about something, which I would say is a positive moral good. But he did that because he had faith that it was just the right thing to do. So like, you know, for me, looking at my fellow socialists or talking to them, I, I can't ask them to sacrifice their life, potentially end up like that guy for something that is honestly like if you're looking at the state of the world right now, it does not seem likely that there will ever be the world which we want to achieve. But if you don't have a level of faith that goes beyond like the way there's the facts are presented to you in your daily life, well, then people aren't ever going to pursue something that I think is definitely worthwhile and well, that will definitely never be achieved if people don't have the faith and the pursuit in the beginning in the first place. And this may surprise you, but my fourth movement step in masculinity is expecting a greater reward, right? You're laying out what we have to be doing, what we're doing for something greater than ourselves. Right. And so to complete this masculine thing, reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and then expect a greater reward, right? So even Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth where rust and moth destroy and thieves break in and steal, but do so in heaven where those things don't happen. And so what I'm saying to you is the, the, the full capstone of manliness is doing things for a greater reward. I actually agree with that. I think maybe, maybe what this, the disagreement we have here comes from a lack of my defining, you know, sort of my well, okay, ideology. So then, so, yeah, then, is, go ahead. Well, just to say that, like, I do feel like there's a greater reward, even if I don't see any material gains for in my own life in this project in which I'm now attached to. I still view myself as part of a whole, which the species being as as, you know, Marx and other socialists call it, which is the species coming into an understanding of itself as like a consciousness. And so if I see myself as part of that, even if I don't feel it all the time, I mean, it's, it's honestly not very different from from Buddhism or other Eastern religions as divinity, just as being all of the parts of the whole together. But it is sort of that, but in more secular terms of, of finding the species being so that even if I don't get it, hopefully five, 10, 15 generations from now, like if our species does achieve that, that species being, that is the greater reward. And I'm still part of that. Like I'm still a part of the whole species being, I guess. I know that sounds very abstract. I'm trying to keep it more grounded, but that's sort of, that is an afterlife in a way. Okay. Sorry. We're getting off track. While these are super enjoyable, enjoyable conversations for us to have, I want to be able to give them the treatment they deserve. So we should get into those into a later episode, which we definitely will. But please, Chase, finish off your fourth point so we can. Uh, yeah. Get back so here. fourth, again, is to expect a greater reward. It's what Jesus did and it's what we should do. It's the things that make us or help us do what's right, not what we want. It's the stuff that puts us to emulate virtues and not vices. I think it blows through, especially as an adolescent or us growing up, it proves wrong that disrespect towards parents or to, or to our authorities is independence or that rudeness is strength or that like sexual freedom and liberty is manliness. It, 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 it aligns us like it helps us respect other people, helps us love God and love our neighbor. Yeah, I think that's interesting to that there's there's a lot there from what I hear right off the bat. I think it'll lead into a lot of other really good conversations yeah, as well. Like I said, don't want to get into it too much. 
but especially, you know, in terms of like deference to authority. I'm sure these are all hotly debated questions among Christian scholars as, as well. But you can't go is, wrong just as to cl- can close out the Jesus point and the Christian scholar point in emulating Jesus. We shall not go wrong like that. Not a Bible verse, but Chase's paraphrase for you. Now, fair enough. That's uh, that's a good paraphrase to, to uh, be used as a rule of thumb. But it all of that does to me sound very familiar and sound pretty agreeable in terms of what men should be trying to do, because in, in a lot of ways, that is the socialist tack as well, is trying to find ways to sort of intersect self-interest and, and selfishness with sacrifice and service. It's an understanding that humans have of a pretty specific type of nature that is reproducible. And this goes back, I think, to our earliest days, or these these thoughts were being batted around by philosophers and writers since our earliest days. And I, I want to go to Goethe from this uh, Eric Fromm piece that I found called Marx's Concept of Man. And the quote is, man, says Goethe, knows himself only in as much as he knows the world. He knows the world only within himself, and he is aware of himself only within the world. Each new object truly recognized opens up a new organ within ourselves. So that's a pretty powerful expression of what what he's connecting there is to Marx's sort of conceit of human productivity and how that is the essence of man. That is the the, the driving force behind, behind man. And what he's in Faust, in the actual book, he, he goes into how none of the things that the, the character, the main character gets out of these, out of, out of his tra- transaction is, is satisfactory to him. He doesn't, the, none of the possessions, none of the power, none of the sensuous fantasies that are fulfilled bring him happiness. The only thing that can bring man happiness is, and can make, help him make sense of his life is by not greedily holding on to the things, as Fromm puts it, that define our modern life. I'm trying to keep this as, as grounded as possible. So if I'm getting too abstract, let me know. But it's generally a sense that like, to be happy, you have to be part of the whole. And to be part of the whole, you have to productively contribute to that to work. So I don't disagree, my friend and brother, on that, uh, that you know, he who does not work shall not eat from Paul to John Smith and um, and the new settlers. But I don't think we find all of our purpose in work or even in the community in which we work, right? And I think that that's what you just said. I think that there is an innate connection with yourself and with God that if stripped, what you work in the community in which you work can be led astray. So I don't think what you're saying is wrong. I just don't think it's complete. So just consider for the, for the aspect of like, there's a vertical relationship as much as there are horizontal relationships that must be aided and built up for one to find his identity and worth. I, I like see what you're saying. I a think, man, because like, yeah, we're not. And I, and I think it's important just for future consideration. So you see, my point is that we'll never be what we're meant to be or could be without our creator having an embodiment or help us fulfill that. Right. So that, that's interesting because and I, I think this is probably where we will, you know, like part ways in, in a discrete sense, which is that the material senses that we created that creator in order to solidify and codify the social bonds, which are that make up the divi- the divine. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, not yet. I want to make sure I understand. You're saying that we came up with God in order to um, codify the social relationships. In a way, yeah, that, that, that religion, the, the law in general, all of those things were replacements for a society that 
was, you know, beginning to lose its, its most pure social bonds, that of like the tribe or it's most, it's most uh, not pure elemental. So, okay. Uh, I guess is, as is I understand, you've maybe said in this conversation or before that Marx lays out that laws fill the gap for loosening social bonds in between a community. And while that may be true, I do think that just, you know, in, in my belief, and I think there's some historical evidence to show God gave laws maybe to accommodate for loosening social bonds, but there are laws that actually have a good purpose that maybe didn't, that, that didn't fulfill the purpose of keeping people together. But also I guess I what think- I mean is that we created God to, as a fill in for the social consciousness, like the collective unconscious that essentially is was our our laws already like well, before my, the first before brother, the ten like, commandments existed wh- people wh- weren't just going around murdering each other because that is a way you alienate yourself from your social bonds well i mean but as those things became more codified it, the god was the name that we gave to that you know, okay, that, that so was that would be the, the perspective the problem is though that, that that belief um like rests on this assumption that man is good and that in community will all be good which i think like that hasn't ever been nor will it ever be unless we become perfect and we've never been perfect. I also think that like the social consciousness idea is maybe just a replacement for God and, or maybe they both exist and one can't exist without the other. I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't think, uh, well, this is kind of what I meant by feeling like we would kind of permanently part ways here because I feel like there's, it's just two, it's two different perspectives, you know, clashing at the, at this, at this juncture, this is where the friction is the the hottest between our two belief systems. I think it's undeniable that there are social and personal forces in, in the world which are actively and passively shaping our young men and, and young women. But you know, for the purposes of our conversation, as we've said, you know, we're not women. I don't, I don't, I don't know too much about that. I will uh, do my best to try to keep things. Any girl you've dated would validate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although uh, I don't think they would, uh, any any of them would respond to any texts if I asked them to. So uh, <laughs> good RSBCT man, or yeah. Um, but all that to say is, so, so we're not experts, but we're going to try and do this as earnestly and as uh, in good faith as we can. Like, so we, like we what what we try to address here? We tried to address what is a man, and a little bit about what how one becomes a man, and in the future we'll address similar like one question topics and or even read some passages or, or some some excerpts and another little teaser for you chase is about to become a father so our masculinity series is about to take on a whole new dimension because i am about to enter the halls of uncledom which yeah so maybe uh, next topic is how to raise a man uh, you know how how we seek to do after that because i think that's what we're ultimately trying to do as uncle and father to raise boy to man yeah the challenges the challenges of raising someone uh, with those goals today and how we can swerve around some of the obstacles that our society tries to put in our way if anyone has any suggestions you know our dad did drop a pretty good example for us but i'm always open to wisdom so if anyone has any particular uh advice or perspectives on raising a man in who will be born in 2021 lord willing then uh, please send that in. Yeah, if they're really good or really terrible, we'll share them. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, that's that's, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, perspective. Anything that you remember, um, either that I did or dad did, or um, that was like really good or really terrible. Uh, um, oh, that's a loaded question. But I, 
Yeah, I mean, really good. I would say that I I always looked up to both you and dad when I was growing up. And that was, uh, I very lucidly remember feeling that way. And, you know, we were raised a lot more traditionally in terms of, you know, it was, it was expected you play football, contact sports, big dogs, all of those, those weird idiosyncrasies of American masculinity were definitely part of our life, you know, in ways I feel like I lost some opportunities by pursuing that so sort of blindly. But at the same time, it made me who I am today. So how can I really complain? Yeah, you know what? Um, I quickly remember a, a tough thing uh, amongst many things. We were at Lake Tahoe and you were like trying to climb up the rocks and you like give me your hand and I reached down and I don't think I like I lunged fast enough or far as I could have and you fell and scraped yourself really badly. Mm, and I it was that, that oh God, yeah, dude, that is eating me sometimes. Um <laughs> It's just the weird things that you just freaking start hating yourself for. You know, yeah. I did I do remember, though, trying to include you a lot in some of the things that like, you know, younger brothers weren't probably normally included in that that probably put a more undue pressure on you. But um, yeah, I put pressure. But, you know, like I said, I feel like it definitely had it what for better or for worse. It's guided my life because ever since then, I've always wanted to be around older people. I had sort of that sensibility. Of, of knowing how to talk to those people and, and yeah, that's the fascination around, in older around women. my peers. Got so. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, any older ladies out there, I am single. So <laughs> hit me up on him. Uh, slide in the DMS. We'll, we'll chat about masculine. Uh, <laughs> good night. <laughs> Real quick. Since yeah. we're short on time, anything good you've been reading, watching anything like that lately, you know, share with the, the folks at home. Yeah, dude, not good. I just finished uh, Dr. Strangelove, uh, you know, How to Stop Worrying and Start Loving the Bomb. Totally overrated. It's got the scene where the guy's on the bomb. But man, I just, to me, it just was not as, yeah, you can disagree. To the folks at home, we're doing a big thumbs down over here. It was underwhelming. <laughs> and I think I've got pretty good classic taste. So it's, you know, I, I eh. besides that. I I'm not even going to engage there. Like I said, I, I, I'm working on the, the love chapter memorization and was in the, uh, Isaiah and we're doing a Bible study through Mark. So I'm, I'm digging deep into Mark. There you go. Good what stuff, about you? Man. Yeah. For me, what have I been uh, watching? I've been on a um, Paul Thomas Anderson kick, just rewatched inherent vice, which for those who haven't seen the movie or read the book, they're both excellent in their own way. And that is probably a statement of true humanity, inherent vice. Ergo, we have a problem with this, you know, Marxist idea of human nature, but we'll get off of it. Well, it's, it's an, it's, you have to read the book. I don't want to give anything away, but, Jeez. but watch, if you don't feel like reading, watch the movie. It, it does a pretty, it's a pretty good substitute. I'll say that. So quick updates. Alex's sister got the job. Praise God. Super awesome. Nice. Similarly, awesome. I'm going for a job interview and in a series of them. So keep me in your prayers. Uh, Samantha uh, shows his dedication to the project. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> trying to get a job. J O B. <laughs> Um, internal though. So, you know, don't, if, if anybody from I'm working with, it's not, a, it's not too bad of a thing. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> talking about my project, you know what? Samantha's <laughs> getting large and ready to not share her body as much. So just prayer for her safety and, um, you know, and health. Yeah. And for, and for the baby boys. So yes, exciting stuff. I don't know if we shared the name on the podcast. Maybe that'll be a, uh, release. We release need a, a, we need a, yeah, a, a Roman history lesson for that. So new baby just dropped. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it was great talking to you as per usual. And thanks for dropping by, Chase. I love you, man. I love you too. Thank you. Yeah, let's, uh, let's chat again soon. Oh, that's, please 
like, follow us on social media. Do a share if you really want to shout out on the show. That would be sweet. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, Thanks, guys. He acts, he dies, but principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against brother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs and uh, look forward to seeing you next time.